0: Thank you. Welcome to episode 28 of the Superpowered Fancast. fan cast. Uh, this is Darren. So I'm coming to you from my, from, from my little small office, my small office area space here and trying to think of, well, at least I was, I think ahead of time trying to determine like what this episode was going to be about. And I think honestly, um, I think honestly, it's the, uh, I think the the world's kind of making that decision for me like especially in entertainment like um it's it's the week of it i mean well not the week of i mean it came out uh, last week but but it came out and i loved it absolutely loved it so I think this episode's gonna be about horror and um one of the things that i that's gonna be added to uh this episode is I actually got Uh, to sit in on a press conference interview uh, with Nick Antosca. And if you don't know who that is, I'm going to go ahead and educate you on who he is. So Nick Antosca is a writer and producer, and uh, he's written uh, for series like Teen Wolf and uh, Last Resort and Hannibal. And right now... um, uh he, he's the writer producer and, and the showrunner for a uh for a series on uh fi called uh Channel 0. And it's a really good show. You should absolutely check it out. It's it's a really fun, uh fun interesting anthology series. It is almost like um it's almost like, you know, Twilight Zone and Outer Limits but it's got more of an edge to it. So it's, it's definitely something I would recommend. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess honestly, to just kind of go into it, like the, uh, I said probably the biggest thing that I would have to talk about is like, I went and saw, uh, it, the remake, of well, it's not even a remake. I guess that's the thing we kind of have to get out of, uh, doing is comparing, uh, this film to the 94, uh, was ninety four? Yeah, the ninety four uh, TV adaptation because that was a miniseries, so it wasn't the it wasn't. It's not a remake of a miniseries. It is a big screen adaptation of Stephen King's It, and you know, um, just to say, and I've said this before, I've said it on other podcasts, I've said it on, I, mean, I said it on the other podcast I, I, I co-host, um, the Geek Side Pod that you can uh, that you can catch on World Wide, and you can catch on uh, on our YouTube channel. Um I have a long history with the book It. I have read it every summer since I was 13 years old. It's not an exaggeration. It's not a brag. I mean, it literally, it is something I have done every summer. From the time I was 13, I've read that book. I know everything about that book, and I absolutely love it. That and The Stand. Those are the two books I would read every summer. So the fact that they were, you know, going to bring a... A, a new adaptation of this story to uh, to the big screen means I was absolutely excited about it. Um, excited to the point where like, if you go to, if you go to my website, if you go to superpoweredfancast.com um and just type in it in the search, like you will find just like article after article about, about it and how much I enjoy it and you'll find like my list of of the best uh, Stephen King adaptations and it's on it. I had recent uh, editorial about probably the only issue I had with the movie was the portrayal of Mike Hamlin. And if you know anything about Mike Hamlin, I'm not going to you know I'm not going to rehash it here. I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and and read the editorial, but he is one of he's always been one of my favorite literary characters. So it's kind of a little bit of a you know, kind of a little bit of a gut check for them to kind of change kind of the core essence of who Mike is as a character and give the bulk of his dialogue and his characterizations to Ben. It just this didn't really make any sense to me. And and they kind of like glossed over like they're like they were almost too afraid to deal with uh, uh, probably one of the biggest issues in in the story like that but you know if I keep going I might as well just go ahead and read the uh, the article verbatim and I'm not going to do that so I would encourage you to go to superpoweredfancast.com and, and read the article itself it's called um, what it got wrong about Mike Hamlin and, and let me know what you think I mean um, leave comments uh, leave concerns maybe you have a completely different opinion than I do let me know what that is I'm absolutely open to listen I'm absolutely willing to learn so, I mean, I, I, I really want to hear, uh, from, from the people who listen to this show and I really appreciate everyone who does. Uh, so what was I talking about? Oh, I was talking about Nick, uh, Nick Antosca. So his, his show Channel Zero was starting its second, its second season on Sci Fi, And I got to sit in and do a, uh, an interview with him. It was like a press conference interview. So there's a bunch of other, uh, reporters there and we, um, I recorded it, and it's going to come on the tail end of this uh, this episode, so you'll be able to hear that. Just kind of hear his, um, you know, his take on 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 the show itself, and and what he's trying to accomplish with it, and what he enjoys kind of about the the, the series, and and horror, and and uh, it's really good. So definitely definitely check it out uh, at the end of this episode. But getting back to it. So, I definitely recommend going to see the movie. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Like, I, um, it was, it it was pitch perfect with the exception, uh, with the exception of Mike. I was my only, um, my only, uh, concern, but everything else was really well done. There were moments that they added to the film that are not from the book that work really well. And that's always, it's always a hard, um, it's always a, a hard needle to thread. like you can it, you can come close to chain to altering things in an adaptation because you know you can't do everything you know um, in the book. I mean, but it's it's very rare that you can actually go ahead and add moments that are interesting and scary on their own. And I'd say probably like my my favorite scene because it's the most jarring would be the projector scene in the garage. And that's not a scene from the book. That is not something that happens in the book. There's something similar happens uh, with Mike and his photo album when the kids are in the, uh, and kids are in the Barrens in the, in the original book. But this scene in the, uh, you know, with the projector is, is amazing. It's just so like jarring, just physically jarring that it's, that I, that I enjoyed it and um and like I said go see the movie it's made like it made 123 million in its opening weekend so it's, it's shattered a lot of records uh it's do- doing really well for a horror film it's doing really well for a really good film and I'm continuing to wish it success and you know and my dream is to, is to one day interview uh, Stephen King himself so that's uh you know so if they keep making quality adaptations of Stephen King works, then I'll, then hopefully my dream will be a reality. And on that note, uh, coming to uh, Netflix is another adaptation of a, uh, Stephen King novel, uh, Gerald's game. And that stars, um, uh, Carl Gugino as, as, uh, <clears throat> sorry in, in that film. And it's a, it looks from the trailer. Like if you go to superpowerfancast.com, and I know I'm directing you to the site, but you know, hey, why wouldn't I? Um, you can find uh, the trailer, and it looks really surreal. It looks really, really interesting. And I don't want to kind of rehash the plot, but it's uh, but it's a really interesting psychological thriller that has that has a few kind of paranormal elements, but not really. Like there's so much of you know the mind at work in that story that makes it more that makes it more interesting than having like some kind of you know demon from hell tormenting this woman. It's like she's kind of tormenting herself with her own secrets. So that's that's definitely something that I'm gonna check out, and I would recommend to you too. Uh, if you have read the book, definitely kind of definitely kind of let me know. Um, on that note, uh, there's another. Uh, I keep saying on that note there's another horror um movie coming out. I wouldn't necessarily call it a horror movie, it looks more like a thriller. And that's uh Darren Aronofsky's um Mother starring uh Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, um Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris. Now, from the trailer, I don't necessarily get what the plot is. It is kind of reminiscent of like classic kind of gothic horror cuz it all takes place in in a house and is like almost has like remnants of Rosemary's baby and just kind of like the paranoia and feel of it. But, you know, I don't know. I'm a, I like Aronofsky. I like his, uh, I like his work. I like Javier Bardem. I like Jennifer Lawrence. So I may give it a, I may give it a shot and just kind of see where it is. Now they're kind of pitting mother against it. And, you know, we'll see how it shakes out in the, uh, in the box office out of this weekend, but I'm, you know, if they, if you ask my opinion, I'm going to pull for it and hope for hope that it can continues uh, the success that it's, that it's writing. Um, But on that note, there's not really a whole lot more in in the horror genre uh, that I want to talk about um, this week. I'll probably talk some more about like, I think I'm going to like talk about some horror uh, trailers I've seen and kind of see which ones I like and which ones I I don't and kind of get other people's opinions and get their consensus. But as far as that goes, um, I think I'll go ahead and dip out at this point and let you listen to the uh, press conference and with uh, Nick and Tosca. And check out Channel Zero. I mean, if you have a sci-fi channel uh check out uh the new season when it starts. And uh if you have the sci fi channel app or the sci fi app like check out the uh previous season. Um it's definitely worth a watch. So uh, without further ado, uh this would be uh Mr Nick and Tosca. Hey Nick, thanks to talk to you today. Hey Doug, how are you?
1: Pretty good. Um that's one of the biggest things for me with this season moving forward is how do you see the audience approaching this? Because I have to say, I think when I watched it and what I've seen of it, it's very, you're asking a lot more of audience than the, um, than the first season right from the beginning. Well, I like the kind of horror that does ask a lot of its audience. Um, I think that, uh, the No End House story is uh, particularly appealing because it starts with a familiar horror concept and then takes it in an unexpected direction. And I think that um, I think that people will uh, be interested in the character journey. Uh, I, I think they'll come for and has have- Opportunity to find and, uh, and show off um,
2: new horror talents. I totally agree. Thank you for your time. Thank you.
3: Our next question comes from the line of Kelly McNeely with Horror Fuel. Please proceed with your question. Hi. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. How are you? All right. Um characters in the trailer state that they have six rings and the no end out. In the story there are ten. What made you decide to reduce
1: the number? Um, we decided to reduce the number because we wanted to give enough time and attention to each room. Uh, and we didn't want to spend too much time just going from room to room. On the page, nine, ten rooms works really well on screen, um, I worried that it could become redundant. Um, and we wanted to, we wanted to have the characters get through one iteration of the house in a single episode and spending, uh, doing nine rooms in a single episode, I think would have been doing a disservice to the rooms. for horror storytelling right now. There's a, a, audiences crave catharsis. Um, and, and they want it on TV, too. Um, it's just a different kind of horror storytelling on TV. I think Twin Peaks is a great example of that. There's a reason that has been so sticky um, and people still respond to it after so long. It's because uh, it uses the TV medium to... Create a world, a pervasive atmosphere of dread. Right. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, great, great uh, answer. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you would like to register a question, please press the one, followed by the four in your telephone. Our next question comes from the line of Tyree Kimber with DownrightCreepy.com.
2: Please proceed. Uh, Hello, Mr. Antosca. I'm very glad that the show is back. Uh, My question is, um, in in the original Creepypasta, the house sort of has more of a traditional horror feel, despite all its weirdness. There's mention of, like, obviously over demonic activity and witchcraft and the like, and the house on the show is obviously something very different. What was kind of the decision-making process to, to take it into such a different entity for the show?
1: The thing that was most exciting to me about the story and that made me want to adapt it for Channel Zero is the existential horror aspect. So um, the house is scary and exciting and, and draws you in, but the most powerful part of the story to me is when you leave the house and you go home, you think you're safe, uh, everything looks familiar, but then you start to suspect that what you perceive to be reality is in fact the last room of the house. Um, and that vibe of existential terror is uh, was a guide to us in creating our version of the house. So we wanted to explore the idea that the deeper you go inside the house, the deeper it goes inside you. Um, and so we, we kind of constructed the house around how it could most effectively exploit the vulnerabilities of our main character. Um, and you're right, the, the original house in Brian's story is more of a Halloween Horror Nights kind of fun house. But I wanted to incorporate um, some other interactive uh, things that I was aware of, like uh, Sleep No More, escape rooms, um, certain, uh, installation art pieces. So we took it in more of a direction, uh, rather than a traditional haunted house, more of a nightmarish art installation.
3: Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Patrick Kavanaugh with PopCulture.com and
2: ComicBook.com. Hey Nick, uh, a big fan of, of both seasons now, um, and the, the first season it was a little—it was a little bit more. The, the mystery was held until the end of the arc, and in season two the ultimate mystery of what's going on, you kind of tipped your hand a little bit earlier on and then allowed your characters to exist in that mystery, in that world. Um, So it felt a little less horror to me and still very terrifying. Do you think future installments of the series will continue to kind of deviate and, and give audiences the unexpected under the guise of, a horror TV series? Yes. We want every season to be
1: uh, a different flavor of horror. We want every season to give the viewer a new experience. Um, You should be able to rely on Channel Zero for, uh, for a sense of dread, but the delivery of that dread will be different every season. And, you know, sometimes it's about unpacking a mystery Uh, Other times, it's about living in a world. Um, And The No End House is about living in a place of of existential horror. Uh, You know, what Margot goes through is kind of a metaphor for a young person struggling to find herself and find her future in an uncertain world. Great. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Darren Generally with Geeks Worldwide. Please proceed. Hey, Nick. Thank you. uh, (laughs) Thank you so much for for taking the time. Um, I I love the show and I love uh, the the visual style of it, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the production. Like, uh, what is the the Channel Zero writing process look like? And what have you learned production-wise between the first and second seasons?
1: That's a really good question. Um, okay, so the first part, the writing process is, obviously it starts with the short story. So, you know, Chris Trapp is the author of the first season, Brian Russell is the author of, uh, of No End House, the story the second season is based on. Um, we we look for a story that has a really strong core horror concept, you know, haunted TV show, uh, sinister house where each room is scarier than last. can you get through it? And then... It has to suggest a larger world, a sinister mythology, and, and give us a big canvas to paint on. And I, I want every season of Channel Zero to be the nightmare that you have after you read the story. So, um, so we start with something great, and then we have a writer's room uh, staffed with some great horror storytellers. And I want to give all of us room to, to invent. Um, so our, our room is like, uh, for season for no end house. It was, um, in addition to me, there was Don Mancini who created Child's Play, who I worked with on Hannibal, um, uh, who's a, a wonderful writer. Um, Harley Payton, who wrote a whole bunch of episodes of the original Twin Peaks, has written a bunch of other stuff. Um, our staff writers, uh, Eric Asawa, Katie Gruel, um, and it was, it's just a, a, a wonderful, our brain trust. Um, so we take the story, I by the time we start the room, I know what the outline and arc of the story is. I know like roughly who the characters are and, and what we're working with. Um, and then we all together, as a room, break out the season in, in more detail. Um, and late in that process, um, usually, is when the, the director gets hired and then they... Uh, they're a collaborator in the process, too. So they they'll give notes, they'll give thoughts. Uh, Stephen Pyatt, who directed every episode of season two, is really wonderful because he's, uh, he's a very visual director. He's a very cinematic director, but he's entirely focused on... Everything is driven by um, uh, the psychology of the characters and the emotions of the characters. So once we get into prep and production... It's more me and the director um, honing the scripts. Then um, once we we've, we've cast, we'll usually rewrite a little bit to tailor it to the actors. Uh, what we know their particular strengths are, like John Carroll Lynch. Once we had him, we were able to um, to really make the father into a, a sympathetic yet terrifying figure. Um, and once we, we knew that. We had Amy and Asha as Margot and Jules, and we knew that they had really good chemistry. We were able to write toward that. So it's a very, it's an organic process. And we're um, we're writing really almost until the camera rolls and tweaking, uh, which um, is, you know, is one of the, the great pleasures and advantages of uh, being a
0: showrunner. Awesome. Thank you. Well, it was about what uh, lessons you've learned from the from production wise between the first um, and let, second season.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I learned uh, I learned how to um, take advantage of our
1: of our low budget uh, <laughs> to build suspense uh, and and create tension and thread cinematically.
0: Nice. All right, thank you so much. I appreciate that.
1: In mind from pretty early on, uh, it's a very difficult role to cast because he has to be so many different things: got to be fatherly, got to be childlike, got to be terrifying, got to be sympathetic. So you need somebody who is really unique and can embody all those things. And of course, the guy who plays um, uh, Sir Gunderson in uh, Fargo. Zodiac Killer, like, he was the perfect choice. Uh, and John is a great human being behind the camera, too. He is, like, such a pro and so good. And we were, we were really lucky to get him. So Stephen and I, like, kind of early on, he was our dream casting.
2: Awesome. And, and just
1: piggybacking off of that, I mean, I know this is uh, low-budget, sort of independent-style um, horror, which is something that we don't see very often on TV, but given
2: that you have this specific production style and environment that is mostly within the suburbs, um, does, does uh, on, the acting, um, on the acting tip, or just while you're on set, is, is there ever any, was there ever any, like, uh, improvisational moments where the
1: actors brought something to the table that you weren't expecting that, that ended up in the show? The improvisational moments usually come from conversations before we get to set. So, um, there's very little time for improvisation on set. Like, we got to shoot a ton of setups every day. got to go fast. That's one reason why it's been so valuable to bring on uh, directors with indie experience, like Steven, who know how to use indie resources uh, to, to to make something really strong um, but uh, but it, it's a very very collaborative process and you know the actors John uh, Amy ASA Jeff Ward we talked to them extensively beforehand about their characters about what's going on there's all kinds of conversations about stuff that you never see in the show uh, Jeff had a whole really interesting you know kind of life story worked out for, for his character staff um, that we, we talked about a lot and yeah I mean a lot of a lot of the little things that uh, that that the actors do uh, are stuff that comes out of those collaborative conversations awesome thank you thank you
3: Is a follow-up question from the line of Kelly McNeely with Horror Fuel. Please proceed with your question. Hey, go. Thank you. Um, thank you. um. What was your inspiration for the look of each room? Can you know, or good.
1: Good question. Good question.
3: Um. Yeah. Well,
1: overall, it was uh, it was the kind of art installation vibe. Um. Uh, for specific rooms. So, the first room, uh, I was a, I was a fan of this sculptor named Sarah Sitkin, uh, this artist who works out of L.A., who I really admire. She does these sculptures with, like, uh, heads kind of opened up and split apart, and I wanted her to recreate that for the first room of the No End House, where they see their own faces, and then they see... Um, and kind of desecrated. And uh, so Sarah came in and um, created those sculptures. Um, she did work throughout the season. Uh, she was kind of our artist in residence on No End House. Um, and then the, the design of the rooms themselves really comes from, um, I mean, to some degree it's in the script, but in terms of production design, it comes from uh, conversations between Me and Stephen and our production designer, Réjean Labrie, was really good. Uh, And, like, the triangle in the triangle room, um, it was Stephen's idea. Uh, The the idea to have one room that looks like the inside of a pool, room two, uh, an empty pool, came from the pool in Margot's backyard, which is sort of associated with her life, uh, and, and the trauma that she's experienced recently. Um, and, uh, and, room, uh, room three, the corridor, which is from her dream, uh, is also a little bit connected to a corridor that we see in Candle Cove. Right. I remember that. Mm-hmm.
3: All right. Um. Okay, one one quick question. Um, if you could, to three words describe this paper what would how what would they be? <clears throat> uh,
1: psychological, eerie, and sinister. All oh, right. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Our next question is also a follow-up question from the line of Doug Dobbins with Take on Te- Takes on Tech. Please proceed. Hey,
1: Nick, I, it, hi. So this is going to go a little bit into production and a little bit about philosophy, I guess. there It's kind of a two-part question. One, I've noticed you have a lot more women than I've seen in the past participating or in television you have. you know you have Kay, if it's Sarah, I think that way.
3: Why do you think
1: why do you think women are not more involved in the horror genre in general and behind-the-scenes writing room and production? And also, since with the show, since you have such a long gap before it airs and packing up in November, can you give us a little bit about the cutting and editing process post-show that you go through, if you would please? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, that there are actually a lot of women who love horror and want to be involved in horror. And it's uh, an industry-wide issue that there are not enough women uh, getting opportunities behind the camera, and I think that's starting to change, but obviously it needs to change a lot more. Um, In terms of our hiring on this particular show, um, we certainly make an effort to uh, open opportunities to everybody, um, primarily so we look for talent and uh, in the cases where we always hire the person who's most talented for the job and On Candle Cove, just because of a looming air date. Uh, And I was really grateful for that. It gave us more time to do uh, sound design, um, music, uh, and just um, polish in in editing. So, uh, you know, the the editing process is the final rewrite. And um, even I spent several months. in, in the dark cave, uh, getting this to a really exciting place. Just a curiosity, what, what editor did you use uh, for, for um, cutting this season? We have a couple different editors. Um, Greg O'Brien and Michelle Harrison were the No House uh, main editors. Um, Michelle did the first episode, Greg uh, did the last episode, and they kind of traded off. Great, thank you. Yeah, I love yeah, the look—that's that's why I wondered how the how long you took because the look looks so much more like film than television. Yeah, and the other thing is—is um, is honestly that, that we take a lot of care in color correction too, which I think a lot of TV shows don't have time to do. Um, you see more on cable that that they take a lot of care in uh, in color. It shows shows through, and I think in this world where we're starting to get more high dynamic range content becoming available, I think that's going to become more and more important as, it go, as, as we move forward. Cool, yeah, and it's also a testament to our DT I think that. Gathering pool of uh, of modern nightmares. I mean, without mainstream attention, uh, this kind of thing happened in the background, where uh, where people felt compelled to uh, to put down their nightmares and put them on the internet, and and the ones that struck a nerve uh, went viral and. Um, when the opportunity to do this show came about it wasn't uh, it wasn't like oh let's let's go after Phoebe Bot so we just had the rights to Candle Cove and it was like is this a TV show? I was like wait a second there's a million of these things and they're 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 thematically connected and they speak to universal fears Uh, and uh, they, they strike a chord in people why not uh, why not do one every season and bring them to a more mainstream audience? I mean, people really respond to them. I really respond to them, and the best ones open up a world. Uh, and so, I wanted to, I wanted to to, to explore that and bring those nightmares to uh, a larger audience.
2: Great, and uh, only because I have to sneak it in there.
0: Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. So there you have it. Uh, That is uh, Mr. Nick Antosca and uh, uh, talking about Channel Zero and the new season, uh, No End House, uh, which premieres uh, Wednesday, September 20th at 10, 9 central. Um, I definitely recommend you uh, taking a watch and, you know, taking a watch. I definitely recommend you watching it. And let me know what you think. You can always um, reach me uh, anywhere. In fact, you know, not only just let me know what you think about um, Channel Zero, no end house. Let me know what you think about the podcast. Let me know what you think about the um, ooh, the YouTube channel. Let me know what you think about uh, the website. Uh, all of it. Just let me know what you, think. you can. And the easiest way to do that is to uh, email me at SuperpoweredFanCast at gmail.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at SuperpoweredFan, all one word. And uh, check out the website, um, SuperpoweredFanCast.com. That's uh, SuperpoweredFanCast, all one word, dot com. And while you're there, um, subscribe if you like um, the things that I'm writing if you want to get alerts on new uh, information to put out there, I put new content on that site daily. The daily every day will be something new. And uh, usually on Fridays, I have two kind of features that I do. Um, that's there's Fancast Friday where I you know I fancast a movie or a TV show that's been rumored to be in development and then there's fancast figures where I talk about, Uh, another passion that I have that I haven't really gotten into, but I I haven't really gotten into talking about, but I definitely, if you look around, uh, the office, if you look around the Sanctum Sanctorum, you will see that just, you will see my, uh, growing collection and hadn't been growing for a while. I haven't actually, uh, bought anything for a while, but my collection of action figures. So I'm going to talk about, um, toys and figures. And I had an article up there about the, uh, currently, about the uh, Lego Millennium Falcon, like the seven thousand uh, piece uh, Lego Millennium Falcon kind of ultra edition, that's eight hundred dollars, and asking the question whether or not it's worth it. Um, so that's that's currently on the site right now, but there'll be other uh, articles coming uh, starting tomorrow. Um, so for the uh, uh, oh, also uh, please um, rate and review the, the this episode and the show on iTunes. Um, it would really help me out. I really appreciate it. it kind of raise me up in the ranks a little bit, and just kind of get the word out there to to people um, about the show uh, if you like it, and uh, it 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 really it's really appreciated. So rate and review it on iTunes. You can find uh, the show on iTunes or Stitcher, or SoundCloud, basically wherever you get your your podcasts, um, and you can also find the feed on the website, superpoweredfancast.com. But you can also find me, uh, as I'm the news editor, you can find uh, news stories, articles, you can find my uh, my DC Comics, um, all of my DC Comics reviews, and I'm, I'm big into just writing about uh, DC Comics, and all and a lot of the Rebirth uh, issues, and I'm, I'm tackling uh, based on my conversations with, with Scott Snyder, I'm tackling like metal head on and I'm, I'm big into it. So you can read all of those reviews and, and other news and articles and, and just a lot of great content and other uh, podcasts on geeks worldwide. So you go to uh, the, the com. Uh You can find all of my uh, articles and stories and editorials and podcasts and, And things there as well. So for uh, Superpowered Fancast uh, this week, uh, this is Darren signing off saying I hope to see you again next week. Bye.